The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, without knowing where it came from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory. And his disciples began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. When I was little, I was a really picky eater. And um, this is funny. This should be no surprise to Catherine because we had a young adult gathering recently. And I said I didn't like enchiladas and sour cream. And then she's like, Father, what's wrong with you? And so, so maybe I'm still a picky eater to some extent. But <laughs> so when I was little, I was really picky, though. And I remember that my, my mom and especially my grandmother they were just so concerned that I ate, you know, especially my grandmother who grew up during the depression and everything like that. They were just so concerned that I would eat. And so even when everybody else was eating and for some reason I decided I wasn't hungry then, then there were always multiple times throughout the day that my grandmother would ask me if, if I was hungry. And then probably like at 8 p.m. at a family party, I'd finally say yes, right? And, and it was so funny because everybody who meets my mother, um, of course, it's so familiar to my ear, I don't ever think about it anymore. But my mother has a pretty strong Brooklyn accent. My dad doesn't really have one, but my mom definitely does. So I don't think about it ever. But everybody else is like, oh, your mom's accent is so cute. You know, that's what they always say. So for my life, though, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase, I heard somebody say, Peta, are you hungry? You know, like that, just saying that so many times. And then the funny thing is Father Tim Furlow over the pastor at St. Patrick, we have this in common because we both had mothers from New York. And it was so funny when we had talked about this, he would be like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, Timmy, are you hungry? You know, it was, the <laughs> and it was funny. And so that was, that was my life. And um, the, the reason I really bring that up though is that there was something about that situation where my family gatherings as Ital an Italian immigrant family who came probably left southern Italy because many people were starving. That was one of the reasons there were so many people who left Italy to come to the United States. And it was amazing when they came to mostly the United States and Argentina, how much more food was present. And that was a huge change for everybody. And so everybody was really concerned. And then so, so parties, first communions, all these things became 
so much food. I mean, I, I don't know. It, raise your hand if you're like a dessert person like me. Okay, so we have some good sweet tooth people here. Um, like my family, it's not like who's bringing like a dessert. It's unbelievable. I mean, you're talking about like there's like five cakes and like three pies and plates of cookies. I mean, people have been to my family's house for, for you know, different holidays. They're like, this is unbelievable. It's like the table is almost as full at dessert as it was for dinner. And so that abundance is something that's so prevalent about who Jesus is. Like when he wants to give you his divine life, he wants it in like this unbelievable abundance. Like one of the things that you notice in this miracle and others is this. So 30 or, you know, six stone water jugs that, that carry 20 to 30 gallons. So let's go on the high end, 30 gallons. 180 gallons of wine. That is like an unbelievable amount. And what did they do? They filled them to the brim. You know, it, it is a foreshadowing that participation in God's divine life is overflowing with abundance. If you go back to the feeding of the multitude, right, there's that whole entire situation, right? Everybody is fed, and it says everybody is satisfied. So they're all satisfied, and yet there is still a lot of food left over in that. But then what ends up happening later on? It, it says, you know, why are you here? Not because of the signs that I did, not because of the miracles I did, right? He says, because you were fed. And so it's amazing that in our world on the earth, we often come because we've been filled up. And so that's what we're, that's what we're looking for, right? We think about the woman at the well. Again, why is she so enamored with Jesus? Because what does he promise? I can give you water where you would not have to come to this well and draw again. And she's like, Lord, give me this water so that I don't have to come back here ever again. It speaks to how we have this great need to be satisfied in our life. Now, all, all of those of you, and I know that there are people in this room right now, including Marie and Catherine, who have been there um, at funerals where, where I presided. And one of the things that I, that I often talk about at funerals is that it, it's an a special place where families come together. And, and in this day and age, usually only a few still believe. Most of the family members, I have to be sort of like master of ceremonies and priest that day because people don't know when to stand. They don't know what the responses are anymore because so few people are coming to church. So it's a challenging time in those moments, but it's also a great time of evangelization where we start to remind ourselves where we need to orient our lives uh, on an eternal reality rather than an earthly one. And, and during that time, I talk about, I always mention St. Augustine, that he said, you know, Lord's, Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And, and speaking of St. Augustine, on this very passage of the gospel, he speaks about, about this, about the wine and everything like that. And he alludes to something that St. Thomas talked about. He said that grace is, is perfected, you know, it's just like grace builds on our nature or perfects it. And, th and that's what we're looking for. And he said, you'll notice that like wine turns 
or, you know, water turns into wine all the time. He said, however, it happens in a slow process. You know, the rains come and they water the grapes. And then it, and that sustenance that is received into the grape is then eventually put into the whole, you know, vessel and then crushed and it becomes wine. So it happens actually all the time. That's its normal end to do something like that. But Jesus has the ability to accelerate that, right? So the divine life of grace is actually perfecting something that it's already in place. It doesn't ever do something that's out of place. You know, it's actually setting something right or, or, or making it, uh, you know, more expedient. But St. Augustine says, Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. This was a man who was very restless. He wandered all over the place in his life. He got caught up in the wrong crowds. He was a big-time sinner. He had an illegitimate child. He did all kinds of things that would make him sort of an unlikely saint, we would say. But then his life was completely changed when he realized that until Christ was in his life, then he was going to be a restless soul. And a lot of people really struggle with that. You know, some of you I know have seen um, often C.S. Lewis and the new documentary about him, The Reluctant Convert. C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, right? So one of the things that makes him become a believer in his life is that he sees this. He sees all the restlessness that's within each one of our souls, right? You know it so well, right? You've probably eaten breakfast this morning, and then, like, you might be hungry, like, right now. You're like, already, I want to eat. Hurry up, Father Peter. You know, it's just like, I need some enchiladas and some sour cream. And so, um, but, you know, that's, that speaks to our restlessness. Even if you think of our, like, sleeping last night, right? Think about your night of sleep. I can tell you, like, mine. I'm like, ow, my left shoulder hurts. I have to roll over on my right shoulder. It's just like, I need to get up. I have to go to the bathroom. I'm thirsty. I need a drink of water. That's our most restful state that we've been given, and that's what it's like. But he saw C.S. Lewis. He saw that the desire, though, is deep, deep inside of every one of us to be completely satisfied, to be completely content, to be totally happy, and we pursue it all of the time. A lot of the times in, in wrong ways, you know, we do that, but we chase it sometimes. And he realized, that's like one of the pivotal points of his conversion, is that like, that's what heaven is. It's like, why would this be so built so deeply within us if it did not exist? And he was like, it does, in fact, exist in heaven. So now, this is kind of where I get to the point where I've some things we just have to repeat on. You know, this is the funny thing about, I don't know, you guys probably picked this up about the way that I preach things, is just that we can talk a lot about history, and, and I love that. In fact, most of the books I read that are not like religious books or historical books, but you know what? History doesn't save you. I can tell you about like the situation that Jesus was in at the time that these things happened, and that might tell you something about why this the, the scripture was written in that way but it's just like but i want you to know is why this shows that he's here to save us that he did this miracle to show that he was divine and that he wanted you to participate in his divine life and that that promise that he's leading everybody to is a promise of absolute satisfaction and abundance and contentment so the same thing that i focus on at those funerals is one of the things that I always focus on 
is realizing that our promise is in eternal life, not something that's here on this earth. But I said it this morning to everybody at um, RCIA, especially when we were talking about confirmation. We were speaking about the sacrament of confirmation. And that's hard sometimes for young people who are on the fence about being confirmed and different things like that. It's hard to understand the, the, the sort of why behind all of these things. But it goes back to all of this. We're outnumbered. We're so outnumbered in the world. Those of you that come here to Mass on Sundays, some of you out there I know come to our daily Masses as well, but most people in their life when they're, when they're still working and, and raising children, they're coming here once a week. That, we're outnumbered by technology, right? Moments later after Mass, we'll get on our phone and our computers and our TVs, and throughout the course of the week, the amount of other messages that are telling us that the, the, the thing that will make you happy and content in this world is every promise of some sort of earthly reality. It's food, it's money, it's, it's success, it's fame, it's, it's all of these different things. It's degrees in, in school, whatever it is. It's just like those are all passing, passing things. And the thing that we're trying to do is spend more time thinking about eternal life and less time getting attached to things down here on this earth. And, and I, I truly understand it is not easy. There's a million things vying for our attention. So we really actually have to start to make choices. You know, what things are we going to cut out of our life? What are the things that are sort of getting in the way of realizing what the promise is in eternal life with God in heaven? And that's exactly what the saints were able to do in such an unbelievably heroic and unusual way, right? It's like they were living on this earth, but they lived a life that was so focused on heaven that they were living more of heaven on this earth than they were living in earthly existence. So by the time that they died, they, said they had so little earth on them that they go to heaven they spent most of their life attaching themselves to heaven. And, and often you hear the saints, they get very restless on earth. You know, one of the ones that my parents follow, servant of God, Luisa Picaretta, who wrote about the divine will, she all the time talks to Jesus. He's like, when are you going to take me to heaven? And he's just like, soon. He says this all the time. He's like, when are you going to take me to heaven? Soon. And the same thing happens with some of the visionaries at Fatima. It's like, when, when am I going to be with heaven? And sometimes God speaks in terms that are like not our terms. <laughs> so he could think, so soon for servant of God, Luisa Picaretta was, was just a short 60 years, you know, right? And so like, but I guess in the span of eternity, right? I don't know, 60 years might be like absolutely nothing. And so it's hard, right? We're not very patient people most of the time. But if we take more time during each individual day, to focus on that there is something greater than this. There really, really is. And that's what Jesus began to start to teach everybody about. And then what's the answer? After all of that, right? The answer is what our Blessed Mother said. Do whatever he tells you. And all of that is, confer is, is consolidated in this book right here the book of the Gospels. 
That's what he told us to do. And then we hear in the second reading something amazing because, you know, Madeline, who read that, who teaches at our school, we see about the Holy Spirit when it comes down, when we receive it, when we get confirmed and we receive the Holy Spirit, then it manifests in different and unique ways. Well, when you've had a privilege I, I have to see Madeline teach young children, it manifests in amazing ways, in different ways. I, I would like to think that the reason that a lot of you come to the 1230 Mass is because of a couple people like sitting up here nearby me and there that have a gift that manifests in unbelievable ways. And when the Holy Spirit is flowing through an individual, often we're attracted to it because we see it made manifest. We're talking about in RCIA the sacraments right now. So, so I say this a lot, the visible sign of an invisible reality. Sometimes though, when the Spirit is manifest through somebody, it starts to be like the invisible starts to be visible in a way. You're like, that's God acting in a human person. It's like not only are we God's hands and feet, often we're his face. You know, when you go back out into the world and then some of your children who are struggling with belief, one day when they come here and they sit down with me or Father Carey to plan something like a funeral, it's usually the story I hear. It's, oh, my mother, she believed. She had so much faith. She was always praying the rosary. She was always praying for me and all these things. And it's a profound moment often in that moment, even though they've been away from the church. And then I see them show up at Mass next week. Oh, that's an amazing miracle. You, you are the face of Christ for them. Your, your action and the way that you lived your life was one of the things that make, made you come back. Now, I gave this potato example at Daily Mass the other day, but so many people said something about it that I'm just going to bring it up again because I don't know why it was so powerful. I guess I, I remembered it, so it was powerful for me too. But in the seminary, and this is what I'll close with, we are people that want to see the fruit of our labors. We really like that, right? It gives us a lot of satisfaction to work hard for something and then see the result of it. But in the spiritual life, we don't always get that. That is where trust comes in. That, that what we are doing on behalf of God is going to bear fruit, even if we don't get to witness it. And so the spiritual director at the North American College, his name was Austin Vetter, and he's now Father Austin Vetter, but he's now the Bishop of Helena, Montana, so Bishop Austin Vetter. And he was from the Dakotas, and it was a, f a farming family. And he would always give us like agricultural examples, kind of like Jesus did to his people. And he said when he first learned how to plow potatoes, he learned it with a hand plow. But he said it was kind of miraculous. You'd be plowing these potatoes, but when they pop up out of the ground, just like a whole potato just pops up, he's like, it's so amazing. You're like, oh my gosh, it's a whole potato. That's unreal. But, but the great temptation is this. I've got this straight furrow right there where the potatoes are. You really want to turn around and watch all the potatoes pop up out of the ground. But you have to keep your nose to the plow and your hand to the plow and look straight ahead or else you'll miss the row and you'll go crooked and, and you won't hit the potato and it won't ever pop up out of the ground. So you keep persevering in your Christian faith knowing that eternal life is actually the goal, even though we're still here on a pilgrimage on earth. 
and you keep your nose down and your head facing towards Jesus Christ. And then you trust that behind you, that fruit is coming up. Sometimes, even after we've ended our earthly life, that's when the, the fruit will start to blossom and come out into this world. So keep following him. Keep trusting him and realize that there is always an abundance of him. And if it flows into you and you give that to other people through your example and through your word, then his fruit will be born in the world. We just can't look behind us. God bless you all.